you guys got some good questions tonight. I decided I want to be a cop. There's so much to the brain that we don't even understand, which is one of the reasons why I really like doing what I do because there's always something to learn. I haven't personally taken care of a patient that had a head injury and all of a sudden speaks French. I don't wear my Jordan thing in the OR because I don't want to get them dirty. Hello, welcome to Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle podcast. This is a podcast where we have ordinary people with extraordinary lives sharing their ideas, their experiences, and their journeys with you. All right. Dr. Grunch is a neural surgeon, a mom of two adorable children, and a wife of a uh, wonderful husband. Yes? Hey, yes? Where's, where's yes. my theme music? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ain't nobody the party. There we go. All right. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Dr. Grunch is a neurosurgeon, a mom of two adorable children, and also a wife. What I found particularly interesting about Dr. Grunch is that she has a dope shoe game. Her entertaining and informative posts on social media has a number of likes and follows. And she's the daughter of a badass we'll dive <laughs> deeper into that as we get into the uh to the podcast so welcome to the podcast dr grunch thanks for having me so let's start there so let's start going back to uh your mom that's the beginning when i did the research on you i found that i think all of us love our moms i think the world of our moms but you know that description paints a whole different picture of of, of her so tell us about her um so my mom is obviously she was, she is my hero and um, she was always kind of my role model growing up. And I always wanted to be just like my mom and emulate my mom. And she was a cop and in the nineties, uh, female police officers were, I mean, they were very rare, but she was just bad. She was a badass. So I, I was like, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like her. She's like doing cool things. And I just, anyway, so long story short is um, I decided I want to be a cop. And then um, unfortunately, like right before I started high school, she was involved in an accident in the line of duty that left her uh, paralyzed. And I, I had my mom who I always imagine as being this like unstoppable human um all of a sudden like completely debilitated in a wheelchair and couldn't walk and i was like you know what i think this is unacceptable and i'm going to make i'm going to figure out how she can walk again and so i decided that i wanted to um i wanted to be a neurosurgeon and i wanted to try to learn how i can fix spine spinal injuries so that's that's kind of where it started (laughs) Tell me, so that's that's amazing. What a wonderful story. But tell me, when you're working with neuroscientists and stuff, how does the impact of artificial intelligence and AI and Neuralink, if you're familiar with Elon Musk talking about using these, looks like a Borg consortium on your head and it, it stimulates the brain. Is there any validity in that, that type of technology or is it just Elon Musk Twitter hype? <laughs> 
I think it's real interesting. I mean, you know, we Elon is a um, man of many um, uh, talents, and he's very smart, and he's also a little crazy. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it's. I, I think there is some validity to it, but I'm not quite sure it is what he thinks it is. Um, but you know, time will tell. I mean, he it's it's a interesting thought and concept. So. You know, I hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> and when you look at the, say, the spine and the brain and all this, it's, it's, you find that a lot. I, you remember the movie that was on with uh, Johanna, can't even think of her name, but it was Morgan Freeman. And they said the humans only use about 10% of their brains. And is there, do we lose 50% of our brain or is there, a lot to explore in our mind and we're only using like one-tenth of our capacity. There's so much to the brain that we don't even understand, which is one of the reasons why I really like doing what I do because there's always something to learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that we think that we understand a lot about the brain, but there is so much left that we really don't understand. And, and, you know, I think, I think there is, as time goes on, I mean, we'll continue to learn, but I don't think it'll be something that will fully be able to grasp the depths of the human mind. But what makes it so challenging to figure out the brain? For example, we dissect it, we know the frontal lobe, the back lobe, all this different stuff in the neurons, but is it so many layers inside of it that makes it complex or just is it just the, the complexity of the volume of cells that exist in their mind. Yeah. I think that there's just so much variance between even person to person um, that sometimes we can't really explain. And so there's some plasticity or movement of things that can change. Like, you know, you could take a, a five-year-old or a, a child and, and cut out, do a hemispherectomy, which is a procedure we can do for seizures. And if you did that in an adult, they would be, I mean, devastated neurologically, couldn't move. And these kids can function normally because their neurons can migrate and reform and the pathways in the brain can develop differently. It's just, it's crazy. So I think, you know, there's so much science that we have to still hopefully learn and use that. So patients like, you know, even like my mom, we can help fix injuries and, and uh, brain injuries and strokes and all kinds of stuff. So I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but it would be exciting. Interesting. So in your pursuit of becoming a neurosurgeon, I have friends of mine that are physicians as well. They cardiologists, um, hospitalists, uh, pediatricians, et cetera. And they talk about the different challenges they face, especially um, just kind of compared to the, the per a person who goes just to school for four years only. So tell me about your biggest obstacle and how you overcame it in your pursuit to become a neurosurgeon. Gosh. Um, I think it's probably just delayed gratification. I mean, you put so much time in your life early on into education and like not really having fun and, you know, not really doing the things that other people at our age can do because you're still learning or you're still, you know, in school and not even making an income really. So I think the hardest challenge in anybody that 
is a professional period and undergoes that much schooling is dedicating such a long time in their lives and their early development to that profession. And, um, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to do it, but, but those that do really understand what I'm talking about with that delayed gratification and, and it's truly rewarding. I feel like I'm finally at that point in my life where, um, I can enjoy it and have a good time and have fun. And, and, and what it was like that were like the past 20, 15, 20 years. So anyway, it's tough. Have fun doing things like going to uh, Georgia Bulldog games, things like that. That's right. Yep. Falcons. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. By the way, what's the record right now? The Bulldogs. Uh, I, 13-0. I think they're 13 and 0. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. 13 and 0. Yep. About to be 15 and 0. About to be. Okay. Okay. I like that opti- <laughs> optimism. Uh, and you're probably right. So going back to pursuing neurosurgery. A lot of talk in healthcare now around those that are studying to become physicians is burnout, right? And there are, you know, some people that say, you know, they're, they're pushed too hard. The, the residency training is, is not what it used to be for certain, but even today, um, you know, there's some discussion about burnout. What are your thoughts on that? Tremendous. I mean, I don't know if we can avoid it, but it's, it's something that, you know, every, I think everybody, it, it's a, it's in every portion of your life. It's burnout being a parent. It's burnout being a physician. It's burnout sometimes being, you know, a spouse. I mean, that you just, you become so consumed with a particular role and you want to do that role well, and it can just be exhausting. But, you know, with physician burnout, I think it's the way we're, we're trained to, that we're, supposed to put all this time and effort into being a perfectionist and you can't make mistakes because mistakes really can cost people their lives and there's so much pressure and stress and you know you want to be the best you can be and like you know like you know for example if I have a surgery I need to do and the pay you know and let's say you know I, I want to get home to my my family but the day's running late I can't let that person down so I want to put forth everything I can to make that surgery right. But then you sacrifice your personal time and you do that repetitively day in, day out, week after week. And it's exhausting, um, both physically and mentally. And cause you want to be, you want to be a pleaser. You don't want to disappoint people. And ultimately what we end up doing most of the time, especially surgeons where we have such a high stakes job is we end up disappointing our personal life because we put so much forward into um, being successful in our work life. And it's, it's hard to get that balance. And I am definitely not perfect at it, but I, I think I continue to learn how to do it better. And I mean, that's, that's all you, you can really do. But I think the the biggest thing is just recognizing when you're starting to get into that stage of burnout and making steps to correct it, whether that be taking a vacation or, you know, taking a complete self-care day or going out, going to a party or whatever that is to get you out of that funk is important. So with, with the speaking of burnout and just the whole academic process is you think looking back, because you're on the other side of the horizon now, because you're, you've already got your accolades, got all the education done, you're practicing surgeon is there a way they could revamp it and make it so it's a little more 
Like if you had a magic wand and could change the whole process of becoming a doctor, do we have to use the exact way where you got to do 24 hours straight with no sleep or the residency? Or is there a better way to learn this information and be the best you can be without such volume of uh, time commitment in an early stage? Yeah. I mean, I think it really starts in how in the United States anyway, how we train physicians and like, you know, requiring a four-year degree before going to medical school um, is, you know, there most countries don't do that. I mean, you can go straight into medical school at a high school and really simplify that whole process of a lot of it, in my opinion, at least, is not really um, that important in your career. And so by shortening, you know, some of that and this money and its expense and all the stuff you pay for undergraduate degree, which ultimately most of the stuff that you learn, you don't use could help. And then, you know, we, we could take that extra time into spreading out the medical education to make it less daunting, less, you know, dedication to longer shifts. Um, even when I trained, I mean, I trained 10 years ago or 15 years ago or so. And I mean, we didn't have the 80 hour work week. So I was working 120 hours I got my residency done in six years because that was the depth of the program at the time. But now it's eight years because of the work hour regulations. And, and, you know, you have to, you don't want anybody operating on your brain that don't know what they're doing. So you have to have a certain amount of training in there. And if, if you, if it's less, um, I mean, you know, need more time off, which is totally appropriate have to be spread over a longer period of time but yeah it's it's definitely tough but i think i think there are ways that we can make it better so no i, I please I, I promise we won't bore you with all these brain questions because we're just so speak for yourself i have a hundred of them <laughs> <laughs> the, the last brain question i have is I read in the internet, and of course, the internet's not the facts, but they say sometimes people hit their heads, and then all of a sudden, they can speak 12 languages, or they fall down, hit their head, and they can play the piano like Beethoven. Is there any validity in that type of stuff in your brain that you hit something, and now you're just like a virtuoso on the piano or a guitar player? Is there some correlations to that? I don't know if I can scientifically explain how that happens. I don't. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> I haven't personally taken care of a patient that had a head injury and all of a sudden speaks French. But yeah, it's definitely something that you see and hear of in the news, <laughs> but I don't know. Tell me this. Have you heard of um, Dr. Glockham Flicken? Yes. He's on YouTube. He does he yes. these spoofs on, yeah. So a lot of the stuff he talks about, you know, it, there's uh, a lot of... Um, you know, seriousness to it, but it's, it's humorous in terms of healthcare and insurance and the uh, challenges there in terms of the stereotypes of different professions, whether it's, you know, cardiologists, surgeons, pediatricians, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the two questions for you. One is talk to me about the way things are now with, with healthcare entities and insurance companies and how they seem to have opposing interests as it relates to the care of the patient. Obviously, you, your primary focus and concern is what can I do to make sure that Kevin's getting the best care he can possibly receive? The insurance company is doing their part to say, what's the minimum amount of care that 
Kevin can receive to, you know, get back to, to, to be whole again. There's right. that disparity, it seems. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. Um, insurance companies, it's a business, you know, and, and their business is to make money, but it's also to provide the care to the patient of which they think is what is necessary and medically appropriate, which all almost always is counterintuitive to what we want as physicians for our patients. So they're trying to regulate the cost of healthcare. And it's, I mean, you know, there, it is a business, but, and there needs to be some regulation, but um, it, it, it can be really frustrating for a physician that knows what is needed for a patient and wanting to get access to that care and can't because of the insurance um, requirements. And, you know, I think a lot of it is necessary, is necessary on the insurance part. Like take somebody with back pain, you go and you pick up something heavy and you tear a disc in your back and you're down. 90% of people will be fine in six weeks. So if I go in, if everybody that picks up something heavy and hurts their back goes in the ER and gets an MRI scan as soon as they roll in the door, that is an exorbitant expense that's not necessary because most people don't need it. So there needs to be some regulation on that. But um, it is, you know, for the patient that comes in and has a, picks up something heavy and then can't move their leg. I mean, and then trying to go through all the hoops and try to get the freaking MRI approved. What ends up happening is the patient just ends up paying out of pocket going outside of their insurance company to get that MRI, which I see almost every single day. And then it's completely useless. And, but that's what they want because they've saved money. So it's just frustrating. Sure. So in, in terms of um, what you do day to day and you think about the insurance, what percentage of your work involves trying to, you know, um, handle the, well, not you yourself, but handle the insurance company to, to, to get this patient the treatment they need. What percentage of yeah your work involves that? I mean, we have, in my practice, which is me and two other physicians in, in, for neurosurgery, we have a full-time pre-certification um, person that Literally, her 40-hour-a-week job is to get insurance companies authorization for our surgeries that we're performing. Or uh, sometimes she'll do MRIs and that kind of thing. But almost 100% of her job is doing that. And that's for, you know, I mean, that's that's a lot of manpower just to kind of put be a paper pusher and that that's just crazy. That's just for surgeries. And that's not even counting like the um, front office staff that I have that, you know, do the check-in, verify the insurance, uh, collect the co-pays, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's a lot. So, and you think- You don't have a crystal ball, of course, but do you think it'll change in the near future? I I mean, you know, everyone wants to push towards universal health care and they want to think that that's a solution. But honestly, if you look at other- places that have universal health care, they have their problems too. Canada, for example, you know, they have, everybody has health insurance, but I mean, you, the delay in getting care is crazy. I have people that's messaged me on social media 
um, this, I had this one lady, I'll never forget. She sent me a copy of her MRI and she had this huge disc herniation that in America probably would have been taken out in like less than a week. And she's been waiting for nine months to see a doctor still has not seen a doctor and has had uh, inability to pick up her foot for that long. And it's just blows my mind. So there is so, there are so many downsides to universal healthcare. I think we have it good, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it needs to change and be somewhat better regulated and have some kind of, of ways to make the health insurance companies not be so powerful, but I don't think the answer is universal health care either or socialized medicine. So, uh, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit, Dr. Betsy. Um, let's assume we, we had a magic ball and you were able to speak to, to Betsy 2012 and she was able to converse with Dr. Betsy 2035. What would you say to your, like, 2035, I'm most excited because I solved the brain enigma of this, or I published this document, or who knows? What would you say to yourself in 12, 13 years that would make you ecstatic? What? So what do I think I would be saying in 12 to 13 years to myself now that we're asking? Oh, gosh. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited because I figured out how the brain and I connected this surgery to this leg, and now I speak 20 languages. <laughs> or is there... Yeah, <laughs> some brain phenomena that we're on the brink of discovering that the subconscious or I don't know that you would be so excited about. Yeah, I think it's just future. a way of fixing. I mean, for me, like just seeing, I mostly deal with patients with chronic pain. Um, I do mostly back, neck pain, neck injuries, back injuries, uh, and I do brain injuries too, but that's in a, in a dip in a neurosurgery practice. Most of what we see is nerve injury, nerve pain, and, um, struggling with diagnosing that and people that may not be appropriate for surgery. So I think finding a way in which we can manage and easily treat pain and in 10 to 15 years with some kind of, you know, fancy medication or something that's not addictive i mean that would just be so incredible pain is so debilitating in people's lives and can take someone that's so fun highly functioning and put them you know in a completely different state of life so i i would hope that would be what we would find in the next 10 to 15 years do, do you find most of the pain comes from uh accidents or they just pulled the wrong picked up something or it's mental uh no i mean a little bit of both like injuries and you know just kind of chronic wear and tell or people are not having healthy lifestyles like being overweight or being smokers or you know being really really um exertional on their body like you know people that work on on farms or um you know have to do a lot of lifting work in industry lines and stuff like that so i just think People don't understand the importance of lifestyle and habits that they choose and do it in long form. And then it just, just destroys your body. And then a lot of it's genetics. I mean, you know, we can't change that. So it sucks. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because I was wondering how much was lifestyle versus genetics. Sometimes you just dealt, the, as Warren Buffett says, a bad genetic hand yeah. versus you 
you just engage in a behavior that doesn't help yourself. But if you got a bad genetic hand, you just, that's what you got to do. Exactly. Yeah, it's tough. And, and sometimes it's a little bit of both, but either way, you know, a lot of that stuff you can't change once it's, once it's hit, it's there. It's so. I love your posts on Instagram. They're hilarious. They showcase your sneaker game. They're informative. Um, a couple questions. One, do you and your team get along as well as it seems on your posts? I, I love the, the ick post, the one that would you rather post uh, with your PA and one other person. I'm not sure what her role is. Um, so do you guys actually get along that well? We do. Like, it's funny. I, that's awesome. I've always strive to just have a team that, that I treat my work family like family. Cause I think that's a, you spend so much time at work and what we do is such high stakes and stressful. So if I can't trust yeah. you know, that person, it's, it's so important, but yes, we are, we're all good friends. It's, I have a team of PAs and awesome. medical assistants. So yeah. And my OR team, which I don't get to show that much on social media because our hospital has a, social media policy um so i don't showcase them a lot they're just as awesome so yeah yeah we'll let them know that um that we definitely enjoy seeing them featured on your on your uh your your post second question what made you decide to get on social media and start you know sharing all the stuff you share on there and it's it's not only just work you you post about family things like that your kids are adorable um what made you decide to get on social media and start posting um i mean i've seen we all love to watch social media and we love to kind of see what other people do. We're nosy. We like to learn. And I, I guess I'm just, I was at that point in my life where I, I mean, I love, I've always loved social media and I've always posted on social media privately, but I've never really understood how uh, I've always had a hard time trying to figure out how to do it professionally, but not be seen as um, unprofessional, if you will. So I finally let that go and I thought I, I made one reel. Basically it all comes down to, I made one reel on TikTok about being a female neurosurgeon and the silly things people say, because it's just day in and day out. The kind of things that I hear, it's hilarious really. So mm. I thought, okay, I'll make a reel. So anyway, I made the reel, it went viral. And then I got so much good feedback. Um, just people commenting and being so positive about it. And I was like, well, you know what? I, I think I have a, a way that I can reach to people that should see what we go through. And so it just kind of grew from there. And I, I share, sometimes I share stuff and I'm like, why did I do that? That's just. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, only to find out it has 150 likes. <laughs> right, 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 right. Cringe, cringe. But okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's fun. Okay. And then before we go to the final four, uh, the last four questions we have for you, I have another question for you. Where did your love for nineties hip hop come from? Which is the best era of hip hop and your sneaker game. Where'd that come from? how did you do? So I'm a, I mean, I have always loved hip hop. So uh, actually I'll, I'll take, it goes back to my mom. So my mom I hands down can guarantee that there is not a person on this planet that loves Prince more than my mom. She, okay. Prince and the revolution. So anyway, okay. so she loved that kind of music and I grew up with that. And I, in high school, I loved hip hop music and 
that I, I graduated in the late nineties. So that era and that genre just takes me back to, to that part of my life where I use music to really express myself and kind of grow up with. And that was at the time when my mom was injured. So I just really use music a lot to connect to. And so that's my, that's my genre. So, yeah. So then we got on today. Okay. I can't <laughs> see you. What is it? I got a Tupac show on. Oh, Tupac. Hello. Okay. <laughs> So, 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 Kev, let, let me, uh, Dr. Grunch, let me, just, I'll share, Kev, what, what, what you and I texted earlier. So, I, I asked her, Kev, I said, um, if you had to choose between Biggie and Tupac, right? She's like, Pac. <laughs> I like, I, the fact that she says Pac, that, that's a lover of hip hop right there, right? I mean, you just know. <laughs> but, but, but you know what the funny thing is? When during that era, I lived in Los Angeles, I'm originally from Pittsburgh. And when I moved back to Pittsburgh in 93, I found that people from Philadelphia, Baltimore, up to New York, all Biggie fans. Every Once you cross, say, Pennsylvania, you go into Tupac land. And coming from California, everyone was Tupac. And Biggie's great, but Tupac mm-hmm. is yeah. a lyricist. Yeah. He's like in a different level. Oh, For yeah. sure. So I'm a Tupac as well. And then Dr. Grunch, the sneaker game. Tell me about that. Like your sneakers. And, and, and you show you, you clearly know because you showcase them on your posts, which I love. <laughs> I I may have always loved shoes. Um, and I like, I mean, being a surgeon, we wear like scrubs all the freaking time. And so I don't wear these. I don't wear my Jordans or anything in the OR because I don't want to get them dirty. Um, but I do like in the office when I'm wearing scrubs, I, you've seen on my posts, I have all kinds of colored scrubs. And so I started trying to find shoes that would perfectly match the color scrubs. I just grew up there. I have like way too many shoes, but, um, it's just become an obsession. Of mine, <laughs> so It's fun. <laughs> it's okay. Nice. 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 So before we go to the final four, is there, what, what do you want to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on? Anything you want to share with our listeners? about you um i mean just you know being honest with yourself and being true to yourself is probably the most important thing that you can do in self-love before you you know put forward anything else on anybody else because you can only be the best you can be if you are there and happy with yourself so yeah that's that's pretty much it I love it. I love it. Okay, Kev. Awesome. Thank you. That's amazing. Well, the final four, and this is where we just get your perspective on these questions. And uh, the first one is, alive or dead, who would be the other three representatives you want to have at your dinner table? With oh, God. So anyone who ever lived, Jesus, Jesus, you just, you got, you're at a table, there's four seats, you got one and the other three. Who would you want to invite? There? And depending on what you're Tupac. cooking, we'd, we'd be glad to come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, hmm. wow. That's a, I wasn't prepared for that question. I mean, I would probably have to say, I, I mean, I would really like to see Prince because I want, <laughs> I love, I love Prince. I'd love to have him there. My mom, so she could be there uh, and learn from him. 
me, obviously. And then the last person. Ooh. Ah, I don't know. I don't know if I have a, I don't know if I have a fourth. I just think, yeah, I don't know. That was a good question. <laughs> that's good. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. There's no wrong answer. Yeah, it can be, be an empty seat. Yeah. So, <laughs> Rich, Rich would probably have enough to talk to Philip the whole day. <laughs> okay, so the next question, uh, going back as far as you want to date, what has been your personal or professional What's been your greatest success? Um, definitely my kids. I mean, I mm. I don't think I would have in I, I don't it's pretty generic, but being a parent, I mean, like nothing changes you in your life more than your kids, at least in my experience. So have to be them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. And uh the third question. What is your superpower? If like Superman can see through everything but lead, the Hulk was strong, and we're going on a Marvel little theme here. What is your superpower, Doctor Betsy Grutch? Um, hmm. I would say probably. I mean, I don't. I, I would say the first first thing I thought of was humor. I mean, I always try to find the um, not really a superpower though, but yeah, I would say I always try to find the, the humor in every situation to try to turn light into whatever serious is happening. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that as a superpower because sometimes people take things too seriously and it yeah. helps when you can lighten the mood and, you know, just roll with it. So next question, last one, what would the title of your biography be? <laughs> Um, you guys got some good questions tonight. Um, I oh, you're too kind. probably let's see. And you thought med school was hard. I know. I know. I haven't gotten these questions before. <laughs> I would say, um, Betsy Grunch the the trials and tribulations of a uh, surgeon, uh, car lover, and mom. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it too. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Super corny. Sorry. Well, well Dr. Betsy Grunts. We want to thank you very much for taking time on your during the week to speak with us, and we really appreciate you sharing your your journey with us. We no appreciate problem. it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.